the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. That is Josh's website. And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process with Josh, his number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So let's start off the show talking about Social Security. Josh, how often do you come across people who think Social Security with Medicare equals a good retirement? Is that one of the most common myths you find people mistakenly believe? Actually, I would say, well, there's a few people that believe that. Uh, I run across the exact opposite more often than people who believe that uh, Social Security plus Medicare is going to equal a good retirement. I hear oftentimes, you know, is Social Security going to be there? Is uh, Medicare going to be there? Um, How would anybody possibly survive off of these two things? And then I guess in the other camp, you know, I'd say probably a smaller percentage of people believe that Social Security and Medicare combined will be a good retirement. Uh, so knowing that, you know, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle uh, in reality, and that is Social Security and Medicare will provide a good baseline income for retirement. But for most people, it's not nearly enough. If you look statistically nationwide, uh, Social Security only accounts for about a third of people's overall retirement income. Now, that's nationwide. I, w- I would argue that in Ohio, the people that I come across on a day-to-day basis, it's probably closer to half. But still, that means it's only half. And, you know, when you insert Medicare and Medicare supplement, et cetera, that, that cuts into your Social Security payment quite a bit. I think as we look forward, though, and I know I'm, I'm kind of not really answering your question directly, but I want to address things that I think are a little bit more important than Um, people kind of euphorically believing that it's going to be a good retirement. Statistically, it's just simply not. But I think there are some challenges that people have uh, that they're facing moving forward as it relates to both Social Security and health care that they need to keep in mind. Um, One, uh, inflation is certainly amongst us. And while uh, Social Security has done a pretty darn good job over the years in keeping up with inflation, there have been some changes over the years in the way that we calculate inflation adjustments. There's been some debate over whether or not we should change uh, as a country how inflation adjustments work. But if you look at what's happened just throughout uh, you know, the introduction of COVID and 
the spending policies that we've enacted over the last 12 to 18 months. And we're looking at inflation rates of far higher over the last 12 months than they have been over the last 25 years. So over the last 25 years, inflation's been about 2.5%, give or take. We're talking about potentially raising uh, or in real inflation being 5 to 6% over the last 12 months. So the real question, I think, will be, will, infl- will Social Security keep up with that? And then moreover, uh, the cost of health care and the inflation rate of health care has gone up dramatically uh, faster than overall inflation. So oftentimes I'll hear people say, I heard that, it, that my Social Security went up by 2.5%, but I didn't see that in my actual paycheck. And that's probably because the cost of Medicare went up by the inflation rate that they saw on the other side. So it was a net zero to them. So when you're looking forward in planning, the big questions are, how will Social Security continue to be taxed? Will it keep up with inflation? What impact will the cost of Medicare increases have on your overall Social Security payment? And then how do we develop a plan to accommodate for all of those factors above and beyond that adjusted for inflation? So I know that's a lot of, I think I said inflation probably like 12 times. And that's not because I think inflation is going to turn into, you know, uh, 20, 30 percent or anything like that or go back to the crazy 80s. But I do think that it's going to become more important over the next 20 years in planning than it was over the last 20 years. And in that same 20 year period looking forward, there's going to be changes to Social Security because there has to be changes to Social Security um, because of just the sheer fact that that Social Security surplus trust fund is, in fact, going to run out of money. So. You might have been able to get away with living purely off of Social Security in some capacity over the last 20 years and it keeping up with inflation. But whether or not that'll be the case moving forward is yet to be seen. But I would be willing to bet that it'll be less of a part of your retirement in the next 25 years than it was in the last 25 years. And those without a plan will feel that impact far greater than those who are proactive and go through a planning process and make sure that they have all their ducks in a row. And I was going to say, exactly to your point, even more reason to have a financial planner because you have one camp that's, oh, that'll be enough. Then you have the other camp that says, don't count on it. There's a, there's a happy medium. I think, you know, just like everything else in the media, we like to be polarizing because that's what draws views or draws clicks or comments or however you're measuring your success in the media. And the answer, uh, just like I would assume in most things in the media, is somewhere in the middle. And the in the middle is occupied with actual facts rather than propaganda. So once we boil it down to the actual facts, we can create a plan, which then in turn uh, creates confidence, which makes for better lives, which makes for comfort, which makes for all those things. But that doesn't seem to be the, what's being uh, perpetuated uh, amongst the media and these outliers on either side of it. So, yeah, just gain the information, get a good financial person. Uh, call our office. We'll walk you through the process and make sure you uh, are thoroughly protected in the event of either one uh, happening. Either Social Security is uh, a very strong income generator for you for life, or it's a little bit smaller part than you thought it was going to be. Let's walk people, for those just listening and new listeners, uh, what the Aptus Blueprint process is that you take new people through. Sure. Well, and you know, one thing, the reason we call it the Blueprint process, and I think that's an important distinction is we oftentimes call this planning. Uh, it's retirement planning. It's retirement income planning. We're financial planners. But planning, I think, sometimes gets turns into a vague, kind of a vague statement. And I think, you know, Diane, before we got on online here, we were talking offline about, you know, a project that I have going on in, in, in the construction world. And, and uh, people in the construction world like to use the word hopefully all the time. Well, hopefully we'll be out there on Wednesday. Well, 
hopefully it'll be done. Hopefully, barring good weather, you know, weather, and hopefully, hopefully. Well, planning creates a lot of hopefullys, and the last thing you want in retirement is hopefully you'll be able to retire when you get there. You want something a little bit more concrete than that. And a blueprint, I believe, is just that. A blueprint is something that you can uh, utilize to create a structure. You know, blueprint, we think about a house that you can actually build the whole darn thing off of, and you know it's not going to fall down. So we call it the blueprint process. Long-winded answer. Let's go into the the short uh, process. Meeting number one, we're going to find out everything about you. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you doing currently? What have you been saving up to this point? Um, all, all the things that comprise you and your financial life and your hopes and dreams moving forward. Meeting number two, the analysis meeting, we are going to take what you have given us and show you if you continue to do what you're doing, what does that look like? Uh, is your error going to hit the target? Are there speed bumps along the way of your retirement that could derail your course? And then in meeting number three, that's our blueprint process, our blueprint meeting. That's when we will show you how to effectively mitigate any risks that we identified in that process. How do we improve things? How do we lower taxes? How do we maximize Social Security? All the things that that you oftentimes hear said, how do we pull that all in together in one meeting and make a, a logical blueprint out of it? And then not until meeting number four do we decide whether or not this is a mutually beneficial relationship that we want to go forward with. But uh, rest assured that regardless of where the meeting ends up going in meeting number four, you will have learned very valuable elements along the way that you can enact whether we end up working together or not. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, you can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Staying on the topic of Social Security and myths we were talking about earlier, why is Social Security disability insurance so often misunderstood? And Can you break that down for us? Well, one, I think people don't understand that they are, in fact, different. They're different in what they do, and they're different in how they're funded. Uh, So Social Security disability is a different funding mechanism than Social Security retirement. That said, Social Security disability is more underfunded, believe it or not, in many ways than Social Security retirement. As a matter of fact, in 2015, $150 billion was taken out of Social Security retirement to fund Social Security disability until 2022, which obviously we're, we're getting really close to having to make some decisions again on how do we fund Social Security disability. So much like we talk about Social Security reform, we need Social Security disability reform a little bit. But some of the misconceptions are it's a handout. Not necessarily. Um, certainly if you've only paid in for a couple of years and then you go on, or, you know, for your minimum amount of time and then you collect social security disability for the rest of your life, you could argue that you're collecting far more than you ever paid in, but that does not mean that it's a handout. Social security disability was created as an insurance policy to, uh, help people who are permanently disabled. And that, that term permanent is, or, or long-term disabled to do any job is very, it's not an own occupation type scenario. And what I mean by that is if you're disabled and let's say, you know, you're a surgeon, but you cut off two of your fingers. Well, clearly you can't be a surgeon, but that does not mean that you are permanently disabled or disabled from doing any job. So social security disability is uh, an insurance policy against being disabled from doing any job. That does not mean by the way, that most people go on it forever. And I've said the word permanent a couple times inaccurately, really, and that most people, more than 50% of the people on Social Security disability, do not stay on it for the rest of their life, statistically. 
So it is not a handout for I never have to work again in general. That said, other reasons why somebody may want to apply for Social Security disability that you might not have thought of. Obviously, there's a monetary reason and that we want to get our income while we're disabled. Makes sense. But there are other reasons why people might do that, even in lieu of really needing the money in the short run. For example, you get dependent benefits. So I become disabled, but I also have children. And that's, you know, I got to provide for my kids as well. There are dependent benefits along with Social Security disability as well. The other one is um, I have the ability then to apply for other health benefits. And also it freezes my retirement benefit. Let me give you an example of what I mean. If I become disabled at age 40, I don't collect retirement benefits until I'm 65, even though I've already qualified for them. Well, my retirement benefits are based upon my highest 35 earning years. Well, if I go for the next 25 years without making any money because I'm disabled and they do not freeze that calculation, it could negatively affect my retirement benefits that I've in fact earned. So there's a lot of reasons why you may want to file for Social Security disability for future benefit more than in many instances or in some instances more than just the immediate benefit. But I, I think, you know, as we were talking in the last segment, Diane, about how changes need to occur for, with Social Security, disability is not immune to that as well. Over the next 10 years or so, our federal government is going to have to make some very big decisions. Um, that decision is not going to be needed to be made until after about 2030, which politically you and I both know that nobody's going to make that decision before they have to because it's not going to be a popular decision to change any of these programs in any sort of negative or any sort of way where we're diluting benefits. But at some point after 2030, some president and some Congress is going to have to make some very difficult decisions on how we handle both of these things. Uh, so stay tuned to that. But um, know that Social Security disability is, in fact, separate from retirement. It's funded differently. And uh, it is not just simply for uh, freeloaders who never want to go back to work. And there are other benefits beyond just the immediate monetary gain uh, for the individual filing. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com, and that time is 1230 p.m. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614 364 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, retirement for couples often means spending, well, a lot more time together with, with work no longer taking up a significant chunk of everyone's time. Do you find this leads to a lot of divorces or what, what I've learned the term t to be gray divorces? 
And what are the most important financial considerations couples face uh, with divorce in retirement? Well, first, let's let's address the, the the gray divorces thing, right? I mean, as as politically correct as we are these days, it's amazing how many times I see the term gray divorces on the web, and nobody seems to have a problem with it, uh, which is interesting to me. But uh, I don't call them gray divorces; I just call them divorces. And yeah. is it common amongst my clients? Uh, no, not really. Uh, not any more than just regular. I would say it's far less than the national average of divorces. But I do think that the question in and of itself points to a, a good thing to think about. And that is, we make great financial plans, or at least hopefully we're making great financial plans that we can live the rest of our life off of that empower us and make us feel comfortable about uh, you know being able to do the things that we want to do. But oftentimes we neglect the plan for what are we going to do. You know, We'll say things like, uh, we're going to travel a lot, or we're going to volunteer, or we're going to play golf. But let's be fair. You can't travel nonstop. You can't play golf nonstop, and you probably aren't going to volunteer nonstop. So uh, what is the plan for kind of a day-to-day find purpose, not just sit at home and bicker at my spouse uh, kind of thing? And when people come to my office, uh, one of the first things I ask them is, okay, great. You said you want to retire, and you're financially able, no doubt. Uh, what are you going to do? And hopefully you've thought about an answer, but if not, I can walk you through some of the things that I think you should consider. Um, one, how are you going to remain healthy and active? Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we hate getting up in the morning. Uh, we'd love to sleep in, but sleeping in is only cool when you had to get up all the other days, right? So how are you going to, what's going to get you out of bed in the morning? What are you going to go do? What's going to remain, what's going to keep you active, healthy, motivated, keep you, um, you know, oftentimes when you have a job, that's your social network. So where's your social network going to be? And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this right now, Diane, that's you know saying, well, why is he lecturing us on uh, how to be social? And I'm certainly not doing that. But I think it's important if you don't have that social network, if you don't have that network of purpose, if you don't have something that's going to get you up in the morning, something's going to keep you healthy, then you got to figure that out before you decide to pull the ripcord. Or usually within a few months, it's not a good thing. But very long-winded answer to a short question, that is, do I see people get divorced oftentimes after they retire? And I'm very proud and happy to say that, no, I do not, Diane. I don't see people getting divorced at any sort of alarming rate whatsoever after they're retired. But do you, it, it, it begs the conversation, and as you say, you, you do talk to your clients about this. How often do you find that, you know, he thinks, well, I'm just going to watch TV all day and go golfing three times a week and... She's thinking, well, I'm going to travel lots, and they're not on the same page. So how often do you find couples come into your office and they haven't had that conversation yet? Um, I would say it's pretty often, actually. And, and, and typically, and I'm going to kind of really dial in now, and hopefully I don't offend anybody listening that uh, is in this situation, but where I really see the problems are when one person is very active and the other person is not And it's not just that they're not on the same page. There can almost be resentment for the other person having all sorts of fun and the other one not. For example, Diane, let's say that somebody loves to golf. The wife loves to golf. And she's in three golf leagues and she's golfing all the time. And then she goes out and meets all of her friends a couple days a week and she does all these things. And the other person really just doesn't have those hobbies. Oftentimes that can turn into resentment where somebody is out a lot more than the other person. And that can turn into problems. So um, when I have people come in, 
a, a lot of times one person will be saying, oh, I can't wait to retire. I'm going to golf. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the other spouse is kind of quiet. Um, so it's always, you know, part of the process, I think, for me to interject and say, okay, great. It sounds like Bob's going to do this, this, and this. Uh, what are you going to do? Or, are you, or what are you interested in? And just trying to at least paint the picture that, you know, when you pull the ripcord of purpose-driven life going to work, really, which isn't necessarily the best purpose in life, but you get my point, um, what are you going to fill your time with? And how are we going to make sure that we're on the same page and how are we going to make sure that we both want to travel and do all those sorts of things? I think the important part, just like anything else in life, Diane, is just that you begin a dialogue and you ask good questions. It's not my job to determine what people want to do in their retirement. I just want to ask the appropriate questions to elicit a dialogue so that at least folks are on the same page and then we can plan for it because really my role in this process for the most part is making sure that we have the financial capacity to do what we want to do. It's not my job to tell you what to do. I just want to make sure that we're not having a conversation about how to split up the money after six months because we weren't on the same page. Right. And I can imagine one if one spouse thinks, well, you're not at work any longer, we can spend all this time together. Well, that's for that spouse that was spending all the time at work is thinking, well, I can go do my own thing because I was working anyways. Do you have that where one spouse is assuming, well, we're just going to spend more time together? The other one's like, well, no, I'm going to get away the same amount of time. For sure. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, one that comes up all the time is when I'm going to retire, I'm going to get an RV and I'm going to drive around the country. And when they say that, you'll see the other spouse look across the table like, you're going to do what? I'm not going on that RV. Are you crazy? Um, So I think it's important, and you're right, to make sure everybody's on the same page. But it's also important to make sure that... uh, Again, it's just a dialogue. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but very, very important to make sure that you've had the conversation. You do not want to pull the ripcord, go to retirement, and then start doing your own thing and then have the conversation because that can be a a very tumultuous uh, road to hoe after that. Yeah. So for those listening at home, have that conversation with your spouse. Start to think about what it is you both would like to do. Then call Josh. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, let's talk about giving family members money. It, I guess it's awkward if family members ask for money, but can it also be awkward the other way when a family member wants to avoid making someone feel awkward when they want to give them money? Am I wording this correctly? <laughs> uh, well, I think whether you're wording it correctly or not, it all points to the same thing. And that is, how do we give money and how do we ask for money, particularly from family members, which can be very awkward, very difficult, and create a lot of problems. Um, and in short, I think there's a couple ways that this comes up. One, your child or you, or your parent in reverse, which is becoming more and more common as retirement's becoming difficult, people are being you know, specifically uh, as it relates to COVID, people were maybe laid off or displaced from work a little earlier than they'd anticipated. And now they are forced into retirement, which, by the way, is not a new thing. COVID's a new thing, but about a third of people in the United States retire from a reason beyond their control, caring for a family member, losing their job, et cetera. So you have to plan for that, by the way. But uh, because of that, we have kids having to potentially help their parents and parents having to potentially help their kids. And then we have that ever uh, ongoing conversation of when I die, who gets my money and how? And there's no right answer to any of this, but I can share some of my experiences with you. 
Um, I did hear one great option uh, or, or great you know, way to word this, and that is if somebody asks you for money in your family, <clears throat> they say they want to borrow money in particular. Say you won't loan them money, but you will give them money. But you'll give them money under one condition, and that condition is they never ask you for money ever again because you're willing to help your family. You're willing to get them through a tough time but you're not willing to enable them forever. And that can be a difficult conversation. And that's what you don't want to have happen is you want to have some sort of criteria or limit on how you help. Because if you just ongo it, you give somebody, you know, a thousand bucks and they come back a month later and ask for another thousand bucks. Well, that's a problem. And then what I oftentimes see, Diane, is you give somebody a thousand bucks and then they spend it in a way that you don't approve of. Mm-hmm. That can build. Now, all of a sudden, you took a family member that was in a difficult spot. You loaned him money to try and help him, and now you hate him. I mean, what a terrible thing. You gave him money trying to help somebody you love, and it turned out being the worst thing you ever did. So I think first step would be um, everybody has a difficult time. Everybody gets into a difficult spot. What I've seen, this is not my opinion, but what I've seen works really well is you say, I understand that you're in a difficult spot. I want to help you. I'm going to give you money just this once and if you come back to me again you have to know that i'm going to tell you no and you can't be mad about it if you don't like this deal don't take it because it's the real deal and i'm not going to back off on it and i think that's the best solution i've heard and what about you doing it as a loan and writing it up officially with a lawyer yeah so great option Uh, obviously you, you know you're helping somebody understand how to pay back a loan particularly a young kid um, but are you going to follow through on suing them for the money if they don't pay you back? The answer is probably no. Are you going to be mad if they don't pay you back? The answer is probably really mad. So that's why I'm a firm believer, in my experience of seeing this occur, that you're better off saying, I will give you the money. I'm not loaning you the money. If you pay me back, I'm going to be so impressed and uh, so happy but I'm not looking for it. I'm not anticipating it, and if you never pay me back, I'm not going to be mad for you or mad at you for it. Um, again, I, I've never had to loan a family member money. Uh, I've never loaned it to my kids. I've never given money. Well, I give plenty of money to my kids. Jeez, three kids. But I've never given money to a family member per se. Um, that's not exactly true, but I, I have for causes. But this is what I've seen work well and what I've seen not work well. And what I've seen work well is when people give money for a specific purpose once, never to be revisited. What I've seen not work well is loaning money to kids or loaning money to parents who come back for more money, who use that money for purposes you don't see fit. And it turns into what took a terrible situation. It almost makes it worse. Just what I've seen doesn't mean it's the right answer. Very uh, emotional decision. You know, this is not a black or white issue. There's certainly shades of gray. And I'm sure there's hundreds of people listening right now going, well, no, that's not the way it works for me. And I, maybe so. I'm just telling you that in what I've seen, that's what works best. 
Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptus Wealth Management Office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session. We call it the Aptus Blueprint Process. The number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And you can join Josh every Monday at 1230 p.m. for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, we were talking about uh, lending money to family members and, or giving money to family members, and you were saying for those of us, for those that are just joining us now in the program, you were saying to tell them that you will give the money, not loan the money, but this is the only time you're going to do that, and don't ever ask again. That was your advice, correct? <laughs> it was the not my advice, but it's what I've seen work the best over the years. Okay. And what kind of conversation should people have if they just want to tell their family members no? And has anyone ever used you as an excuse, the financial planner, of the reason that they cannot give or lend any money to their family member? Uh, For sure. I'm certainly a scapegoat often. Um, And I'm okay with that. But, you know, it's weird how early we learn the word no and how often we say it when we're little. You know, if you've ever had a little kid, they're great at saying no, 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 well, go pick up your room, no. And then the older we get, the harder it is to say no. And the short answer is you just say no. Hey, come on, I, I need to, no, 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 sorry, no. And if you need to use me as an excuse, um, fine. Now, if you have the money and you are currently thinking about things like I'd rather see my kids enjoy it now than get it when I die, So, uh, okay, fair. Well, you can do whatever you want. I would caution you on one thing. If you're using the money to provide experiences that you will cherish for the rest of your life, i.e., I'm going to take my family on a vacation with me that they would uh, otherwise not be able to afford, and it'll be an experience that we both treasure for the rest of our lives. No argument on this side of the table. If you're using your money to help your kids pay for their cell phones so that they can drive a fancier car, Um, you're enabling them, and I hope that you have enough money to be able to provide that lifestyle for them for the rest of their life. Or at some point when you do pass on, they're going to live worse than they were when you were alive. And I believe that our job as parents is to prepare our kids for the future. So that's a very, that's a caution tale. Do not provide your kids with a lifestyle beyond the one that they can afford on their own unless you can provide that forever or the walls come crashing down on them down the line. Again, this is not me trying to tell you how to be a parent. Believe me, I think the I saw a meme somewhere that says the day you wake up as a parent is the last day that you'll go to bed without thinking that you were a failure all day because that's what we do. We just try and do our best and we feel like we did the worst job ever. So I, I get that. I'm, I'm not a perfect parent. No question about it. And I have those same feelings. I'm simply telling you the experiences that I've had over the last 20 plus years of dealing with hundreds and hundreds of families and watching what worked and what didn't, ignoring all of the other minutiae that happens in the middle, like what was a relationship. And these are just common threads that uh, seem to rise to the surface every single time. Do you see people lending or giving their kids money but taking it off their inheritance? Yes, a lot. 
a lot. And uh, while you could deem that to be a more fair way of doing things, um, again, I'll, I'll point towards the same things. Are you giving them money that for something that's going to help them become more productive and more self-sufficient? Or are you giving them money to enable them to overcome bad behaviors? Um, you know, make sure you're promoting good habits, not rescuing them from bad habits repetitively. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Let's talk about people's expectations of retirement. Do you often find people aren't honest with themselves when it comes to their expectations? We've talked before about how it can be a surprise or about not really thinking about what you're going to do uh, with your time during retirement. Is there anything else that people kind of uh, don't really realize until they actually retire that, boom, it happens? Oh, for sure. People have a lot of... Uh, I mean, I, I could ask the question back to you and say, are, are you surprised by the expectations of some people um, on what they're going to get? Uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Diane also is a realtor. So you have tons of clients that come to you and say, um, you know, here's my budget. Uh, show me some houses. And you show them a house and it's like, you know, a million dollars over their budget. And they're like, yeah, see, this is all I'm asking for. I, I'm not asking for anything crazy. And you go, where are your expectations? Like, where, where are you landing? The same thing happens on my side. It happens all the time, I would assume, right, Diane? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the same thing happens over here. And, you know, they think, for example, uh, you know, I have $500,000, which is a lot of money. Well, that means I should be able to retire on $100,000 a year, right? Sure, for five years. Um, then you're going to run out of money shy of the interest that you gained along the way, which over the last 12 months has been a lot. So maybe, maybe you got lucky. But point is... I oftentimes hear things like, uh, and this is very euphoric, unrealistic thinking, regardless of their financial situation, regardless, regardless of the level of planning that they've done, regardless of the amount of savings that they've done, regardless of any preparation that they've put into having the ability to walk away from a job and provide that same level of income or whatever level of income they need for the rest of their lives, regardless of all that planning, they will say things like, I have worked for the last 40 years and I deserve it. Not really. Not unless you've done the things that you were supposed to do along the way to get to where you need to go. Just like if you're completely and utterly broke, um, just because it's your birthday, it doesn't mean you go get to go spend $250 on dinner because you don't have the money. Um, but that's not the way that uh, we in general like to live our lives. So we tend to tell ourselves a bunch of lies or justifications along the way. I remember when I was on a plane a long time ago, we're going back probably, geez, 20 years ago. And uh, remember the old Sky Mall catalogs? Yeah, I love those. There was this, <laughs> I did too. And there was this little ad in there, and it was it was random ad. It was weird. It wasn't even like, they weren't selling anything. It was an ad. And it said, uh, how you live the first 40 years of your life determines how you get to live, or how you choose to live the first 40 years of your life determines how you get to live the next 40 years of your life. And it was, I think it was trying to sell like an exercise bike or something like that, you know, or saying be healthy for the first 40 years and then you can live a much healthier life for your next 40 years. Well, the same thing is large in part true in finance. The decisions that you make for the first, you know, 20, 30 years of your working life determines what kind of retirement life you're going to get to live. Now, there's plenty of time to catch up, just like if we're going to use the exercise uh, analogy for this. You know, just because you have an exercise up to this point doesn't mean it's all for naught. Just give it up, throw in the towel, and plan on a, you know, a premature death or anything like that. There's certainly time to catch up on both getting healthy and being financially prudent. But if you've done absolutely nothing, and then just because you're 65, you decide, 
well, I'm 65, so I get to retire. Well, you can. It might be a very miserable financial retirement, but you can. Uh, but you better do some planning along the way. And that's the most often unreasonable expectation that I run across in all of retirement planning is just the notion that because you're of an age, everything should be taken care of, even though you've done nothing to make sure that that is in fact the case. So if you want to think about, you know, motivation through education and using this uh, platform to be able to help people along the way, which is why I'm doing this, the earlier you start planning, the earlier you start educating yourself on how this stuff works, the earlier you find, um, you know, a confidant, a person that you can trust, a, uh, an expert to help you on that process, walk you down that road, the better off you'll be. And if you never do any of those things, there is a point where it'll get out of reach. So please make that call today if you, you know, don't believe that you've crossed off or checked all the boxes that you need to. Make the call today. Start taking control of your financial life. I promise you it's the most empowering thing you'll do for comfort uh, throughout your, your working and retirement, you know, your working years, not just your retirement years. That level of comfort and knowing you're doing the right things, uh, unless you've done it, you don't know how valuable it is. To schedule your own planning session with Josh, his number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, when people say that timing is everything in the market or, or luck with the market, how do you feel about that? Uh, some people say, well, it was a lot easier you know, to be our parents to invest because there wasn't as much volatility. What do you, what do you say when it comes to luck in the market? Well, I think this concept of luck is something that we like to exonerate ourselves from guilt with, right? The only reason that they're rich and I'm not is because they were lucky. Uh, well, let's just start addressing some of these things as they relate to luck. Um, you know, the only reason that they're worth a million and I'm not is because they were lucky. 80% of millionaires in the United States never inherited a nickel, were never given anything. Now, that is irrespective of when they started or uh, where they were born or any of those things. That's just a fact. So what has happened over the last 50 years that makes this year so bad? Um, over the last 50 years, we've had plenty of wars, plenty of conflicts, plenty of situations, pan, you know, plenty of uh, health crises, plenty of things that have changed, lots of different presidents, different tax codes. There's only one constant, and that's change. Now, I think there is a very small percentage of if you want to call it luck or you want to call it differentiation, let's go with differentiation. Is the market incredibly, if you're looking at retiring today, is there more built-in risk in the market and its potential for pullback and volatility today than there was in 2010 until today? You could argue that case is absolutely true because we've had one of the longest, if not the longest bull run, depending on how you measure it, um, in history. So the people who retired 10 years ago have been very, very, very happy in retirement. But they've had their own challenges as well. Um, and that's incredibly low interest rates. The people moving forward are going to have incredibly low interest rate challenges. Well, what does that mean? Well, I always get uh, a tremendous amount of caution in my voice when I say things like, it's a little bit different now. Because it's not different. Um, it is different, but it's not completely unrelated to some point in the history of our country that we can look back to. You know, from 1950 to 1960, interest rates were steadily rising. 
we were coming off of, you know, the World War, uh, World War II is over, the economy was starting to pick back up, and we're out of the Great Depression, so let's start gradually ticking up interest rates. And interest rates were really low for the time, uh, starting in 1950. Well, let's think about, you know, where we're at right now. Well, we're at the lowest interest rates in history, but we've gotten through, relatively gotten through COVID. The economy's doing uh, at least perceivably pretty well. And the Fed is now starting to talk about rising interest rates uh, on a slow scale to offset inflation. Sounds very, very familiar, right? Well, from 1950 to 1960, the 10-year Treasury returned less than 2% on average annual over that period of time. So what could we deduce from that today? Well, if you're going to put your money in Treasury bonds, you're probably not going to get a whole heck of a lot of reward over the next 10 years. So does that mean that people that uh, retired in 2010 got lucky and they had it a lot better off than we did. Well, we could argue in the interest rate environment, they did. But that does not mean that because of their luck, I am now somehow out of luck. It means that I have to pivot and change how I invest to make sure that I can accomplish a similar retirement that they did using maybe a different methodology. So there's the same risk when it comes, Diane, not to dive too deep in the weeds, but sequence of return risk. You know, you retire and the market pulls back 30% the first year you're retired. Could that potentially derail your retirement? It could if you didn't do proper planning. But if you do proper planning and you accommodate for that and you make sure that you've mitigated that risk by using different subsets of investments, and we don't need to dive down that rabbit hole too deep, but there are ways to accommodate for that. And that should always be taken into account. The people who sit back and say things like, well, it's... It's unfair that they got to retire when they did, and it was lucky that they retired when they did. And they, all, all that tells me is they don't have enough education on how to solve the problem. And I'm not pointing fingers here and trying to make anybody feel bad, but you need to get an education on how to solve that problem, and you need to be proactive about actually managing the problem through planning. That's it. As long as you proactively manage through planning, you mitigate the risk along the way, and you have a proper education to understand what's going to be coming down the pipe as you go through retirement, then you should be very comfortable with the scenario that we're in right now. Um, are there challenges? Of course, there are always challenges. But uh, luck has nothing to do with it, uh, so make sure that you, you start planning as quick as possible. Again, like a broken record, I'm always talking about planning and education, but that's the only way that you're going to overcome some of these fears that you have about the future. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always find that recording at aptiswealth.com, which is Josh's website. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. 
Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, let's talk about life insurance. When is it too late to, to get it? Uh, really never. I don't want to say never. I mean, obviously, it's too late. You know, the day after you're, you're, you died, you can't get life insurance. But does it become more difficult to get the older you get? Well, yeah, for a myriad of reasons. I mean, one, we're just older, so the cost of insurance goes up. Um, and typically, as we get older, our health uh, isn't necessarily as good as it was when we were 20. So the ability of you getting life insurance becomes more difficult and the cost uh, goes up. But that said, there's a million of different reasons why you may want to use life insurance. Um, and by the way, the flip side of that is there's tons of times where I see people come in with life insurance that don't need it. And they're paying a significant portion of their monthly paycheck to life insurance that they don't need that they'll probably never use because it's term insurance or something like that. So there are a bunch of reasons why you'd want it, but there's also a lot of reasons why you shouldn't have it. But I see people uh, with it anyway. But let's talk about the reasons why you might want to have it even later in life. Just because you're 65 or 70 doesn't mean that you don't necessarily need life insurance to protect your, let's say your spouse, for example, in the event that you pass away. One of the most common ways that we see that being done is through an old concept called pension maximization. And the concept of pension maximization is simply this. When you retire, if you're one of the you know, one in 10 people these days that has a pension, you have two choices typically. Uh, there's a myriad of choices, but there's always at least these two. Uh, one, I want a single life payout, which is the highest amount of money that I can get per month. Or two, I want a joint with survivor payout. And then there's usually different categories of that, like if I die, my beneficiary and my spouse gets half of what I was receiving. And obviously, because we're protecting the lives of two people or providing an income for the lives of two people for the rest of their lives, the amount is less when we add a second person. So the concept of pension maximization is, if I were to take that single life payout, which is the highest amount I can get, and then I took the difference between what I would have gotten if I did the joint life payout, so let's say it's 200 bucks a month, and I go buy a life insurance policy, how much death benefit can I get in the life insurance policy? Because on average, if you're relatively the same age and you look at normal life expectancies, you're probably, if you pass away and your spouse is still remaining, by normal life expectancies, there's not going to collect that much more money for that long. And you start doing the math and you go, well, I hate to, for this to be a good, for me to do a joint payout, it's almost like I got to die really young to make this make sense. And I don't want to root for me dying young so that I win. Uh, that sounds like a terrible concept. So why don't I get this life insurance policy? It's going to pay somebody, whether it's my spouse or, or my kids or my whoever. And I'll use that difference between the $2 amounts to fund that life insurance policy for the rest of my life. Very common, uh, normal thing to do. We see it all the time. It's a concept that's been around for you know, decades and decades and decades. So that's one reason you would want to get life insurance later in life. The other one would be uh, for estate planning purposes. Not as common today because the estate tax is so high, but as we're talking about bringing estate taxes back in the current administration and rolling back the thresholds, et cetera, potentially, well, then that could come to pass to be more and more valuable. And the concept there is life insurance, if properly structured, is completely and utterly tax-free and can be exempted from estate taxes if properly structured to beneficiaries. So we might see that come back into the fold a little bit more. And the one I see the most, by far, is using hybrid life insurance policies to cover long-term care needs. There are now policies available that 
solve the problem or the issues that people have with long-term care insurance, which is, I don't know what my premium will be next year. They can always raise my premium, and if I don't use it, I lose it. Those are the biggest uh, arguments to long-term care insurance. I'd love to have long-term care insurance so I have this insurance to be able to go wherever I want when or if I need to go into a long-term care facility, but I don't want to be at the mercy of an insurance company to decide my premiums on an annual basis, and I certainly don't want to pay into something that I don't use, and then my money just goes down the toilet. I don't like that. Well, they came out with these things called hybrid life insurance policies or hybrid long-term care policies, and effectively what they are is you can fix your premiums so you know exactly what you're paying every single year. You can pay them in a bunch of different ways, lump sum over a short period of time, so you fix that cost. And then if you don't use the benefit for long-term care, it has a death benefit attached to it. So you didn't lose the money. It goes to your beneficiaries. So there's just a few examples on it's certainly not too late to get life insurance. And there can be reasons why it's very advantageous for you to do so even later in life. What about the person that is paying for life insurance and doesn't need it? Let's paint their profile. Yeah. So um, here's a, a perfect example. I already have a prepaid burial plot. I've decided where I want to be buried. I've paid the funeral home for it already. My headstone is literally on, on the dirt with no date of death attached to it yet. I have a million dollars in the bank. I'm going to leave that to my kids. I have a $20,000 uh, death benefit life insurance policy that I've had forever, and I pay $200 a year on it, and it has $18,000 in cash value. Well, why in the world do you want that policy? You're going to pay as much as the whole thing's worth of it. Just take the money. You have 18 grand now, quit making the payments and just walk away with it. It's paying no interest. I mean, there's more uh, factors that go into this, by the way, Diane. But in general, if you're not protecting anybody and the, the payment is a strain, in other words, I'm actually living on $200 a month less than I could be because I'm paying this life insurance policy so that it pays out to somebody that I, I don't even know why I have the life insurance policy. Well, then why lower your standard of living while you're alive to protect, you know, what are your kids doing? Oh, my one kid's a surgeon and making, you know, a million dollars a year, and the other kid's a, a, an attorney and making a half million dollars a year. What are you living on? I'm living on $3,000 a month, and I spend $300 a month of that on, on a life insurance policy so that they can inherit an extra 50 grand. Right. You know really? <laughs> Why? Um, that would be a perfect example of at least having a conversation with somebody as to whether or not they want the life insurance policy anymore. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, we talk a lot about estate planning on this show but when it comes to an individual's plans. But what are the most important financial priorities to keep in mind when, when losing a spouse? The more you can accomplish or get kind of ironed out or get organized or you know, have a plan, inventory list, all that stuff set up prior to the death of a spouse, a, a family member, anyone, the better. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But note that when somebody passes away, it's obviously a traumatic thing. And you don't necessarily want to be making very large financial decisions in the wake of that. Um, so the more that you can have ironed out prior to that, the better. Now, sometimes that's just simply not feasible. I get it. Random heart attack. Didn't see it coming. But if you're 80 years old and you've put no thought into this, um, you're going to leave your beneficiaries or potentially a spouse, et cetera, in a very traumatic position um, to make very difficult decisions. Not knowing how you want to be, you know, do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? Where would you like to be married? 
Um, what if you needed to have, you know, uh, what if you were incapacitated to the point where, you know, conversations about pulling, you know, we hear pulling the plug come into play. What would you want to have done? The more you line item that out via a will, living will, uh, durable power of attorneys, both medical and financial, estate planning, uh, providing uh, a loved one with an inventory of where your things are, the better. And if for no other reason other than you don't want to leave, let's go with the financial reason beyond just emotional and beyond, you know, last wishes kind of thing. I've had several clients come in where somebody died unexpectedly. There was no inventory list of their financial situation uh, where I might have managed a significant chunk of it. The particular client maybe had another, um, maybe did all this stuff on their own had no record of where anything was, and they got all online statements and nobody had any passwords or knew where anything was. Well, that money might go orphaned and just be there forever and not go to the person you wanted to go to, not because you didn't assign a beneficiary to it, but because nobody knew the account it exists to begin with to go file beneficiary claim paperwork on it. So you have to kind of lay that out, you know, in case of an emergency break glass type of list so people know where to look. And then, you know, once you're in that unfortunate situation, you're the survivor and you're trying to navigate the waters of doing this, it's important that you work, if you can, with somebody who is involved in the process of establishing these accounts. Because make no mistake about it, and I'm not saying this should be the case, but oftentimes claiming these proceeds from financial institutions can be a very convoluted, murky process. And if you fill things out wrong, sometimes there's no turning back to fix them. And that does not mean that the money just disappears, but it could have a, a dramatic impact on your taxation, how you receive the benefits, getting more rather than less based on, you know, the, the contractual obligations of that particular account, et cetera. So have somebody help you navigate the waters. If you already have those things in place, then make sure, this is a terrible thing to discuss, but make sure you get a lot of copies, original copies of death certificates. Almost every financial institution is going to require an original and it's hard, it's much easier to order a lot the first go around than it is sometimes to go back and get multiple ones. So um, get organized, make sure people are aware of what you want done, make sure you have the right uh, policies, procedures, documents in play, um, and then make sure that if you're in that position, you seek help to make sure you handle things appropriately and get a lot of copies of death certificates. Terrible scenario to be in, but the more organized you are, the easier it'll be. And 20 certificates, ordering that many is definitely normal. That's not unusual. It's not unusual. I don't know that you need 20, but uh, you'll know approximately how many you need based upon how good that inventory list was. This has been the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pitt. Thank you so much for joining us. You can also join Josh again this week. He talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. 
That's aptuswealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.